You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I'm Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high-quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. Well, I saw that you had killed an absolute giant pig of a whitetail, and I'm always interested in this and like kind of stuff like how this stuff happens. I know it doesn't happen by accident, and so I kind of want to just get the get the rundown on it. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things I've been, been hunting since I was four, you know, before I could even hold a gun or, or anything for that matter. Uh, just going and camping with my dad and, and, you know, him just teaching me how to scout, how to hunt, how to just kind of learn the the tricks of the trade, I guess. And, and so, you know, as I've gotten older, just trying to refine those skills and, and, uh, you know, early age, I, I gun hunted obviously. And then, and probably, I'd say maybe about 13 years old, picked up the bow. I was like, man, I'm going to gonna give it a shot and went on a dry spell, not realizing how difficult that was to get, you know, 20, 30 yards from, from an animal. Um, cause you know, the areas that we hunted aren't overpopulated with deer. So obviously they're, they're pretty savvy. Um, you know, and so I went for for years without ever getting one with my bow. And so, you know, I kind of kept resorting back to my guns to at least kill something, you know, and, uh, anyway. And so, uh, long story short, fast forward, you know, years later and, and here I am. And so I've been fortunate enough to, uh, to hunt in Collin County, which, uh, I've got a couple of leases here that, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes from my house, which is convenient because I've been hunting a lot up in Oklahoma, out some in West Texas. And so, now, is, um, is Collin County, is that North Texas? Yeah. Yeah. We're right at an hour from, um, just South of the Red River into Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time like in South, Southeast Oklahoma, like, like Pushmataha, like, uh, Three yeah. Rivers, Honabi Creek, all yep, Antlers, yep. all that stuff, man. That's like my stomping ground. Some absolute giants live down there. Yeah, but like, uh, yeah, there's some some good deer up in that area, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you're you're here in North Texas now. From I've heard a couple. I've had some mixed opinions on North Texas. I got a, a couple buddies that are from North Texas, and it's like, well, it kind of reminds me of Northeast Oklahoma. There's a lot of dudes that hunt, you know. Uh, you know, people don't really have great standards for the deer they shoot. What's your experience with that? Well, you know, honestly, uh, Collin County just opened uh, a season in 2012. Okay. And and it's bow only. So it kind of weeds out a lot of the, um, I guess, the if it's Browns down mentality, you know, so um, which is kind of we're seeing the, the product of that, of, you know, the deer getting their age structure gets to be um, – a lot a lot um older just for the fact that they're not getting shot at two three years old because honestly some of these two and three year olds i mean you're seeing 160s 180s at that age and um you know and and obviously if it had a gun season um 
you know, not many people are going to pass one regardless of the age when you start getting some that big. And so it's, it's been, it's been pretty nice because, you know, as well as I do, um, you can put as much time in the stand as you want. The more mature a buck gets, you know, obviously the harder they get to kill and especially with a bow, you know, so it's, um, we haven't experienced much of, of that. Um, cause now that Collin County is starting to get some of the notoriety, um, now Grayson County, uh, which is the County just next to us. It's just North of us has the Hagerman wildlife refuge and, and they're kind of have been known year after year, just producing monster bucks. Well now Collin County, um, since 2012, I think there's probably been, I want to say at least a 200 inch deer killed every single year. Uh, since it's opened and, um, you know, it's, it's just been unpressured and and unhunted for years and years and years. And so, um, you know, so we're kind of seeing the byproduct of, of that. Plus there's still a lot of ag fields and, and things like that. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, core land around the lakes that, that aren't legal to hunt. So it kind of provides a sanctuary for those deer to where they're not just over hunted, you know? Yeah. I think, from what I've seen as far as the, like the bow only zones, I feel like that makes such a difference in like just the one, the number of deer that are, you know, the two and three and four age class that get passed. But like just seeing it happen in Oklahoma, there's a lot of WMAs that are, you know, they're bow only mm-hmm. and they're only draw. Like the only time you're going to get in there with a muzzleloader or a rifle is like on a draw hunt. And like, man, it just seems like going, going from Northeast Oklahoma where like it lands really segmented, like, every 40 acres someone's hunting and like you know if you own a ranch more than 100 acres you probably get a good deer but like that just it it, t- it tends to to be that way where people are shooting younger class deer but do you feel like the bow only thing is like really a game changer for Collin County Oh absolutely um you know because I, it's funny you say that cuz I hunt up in uh Tishomingo Oklahoma uh had a lease up there um for years and and I also hunt on public land in Atoka, Oklahoma, which, you know, really isn't all that far from, from where you hunt. And so, um, but, you know, Texas has the standard that you've got to be, you know, the buck's got to be outside of its ears, essentially 13 inches or wider. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't have that, you know. So um, my experience in Oklahoma um, is when I hunt up there, it's pretty much about the first three weeks of bow season you know, I'm, I'm trying to put as much time in as I can, um, just for the fact that muzzleloader starts there, you know, basically the week of, of Halloween and once muzzleloader starts and people are tromping all through the woods and all that pressure, I just notice a lot of the, the more mature bucks go nocturnal super quick. And, um, you know, and, and fortunately for us in Texas, we have the limits of, it's gotta be 13 inches or wider. So it's not letting, you know, a really good buck that just, you know, he's got the mass, he's got the potential. Uh, he just doesn't ever get there because, you know, someone sees him just barely outside of his ears and, and they're, and they're shooting him. Uh, I think a lot of people realize the, the caliber of deer that's around Collin County. So I think the expectation is a lot of guys aren't shooting that deer. That's just barely legal. Cause they're thinking, man, I could have a monster that's coming through here, especially during the rut. Um, you know, so, you know, and you don't hear about every deer that's shot, but obviously, you know, when we go by the uh, the check-in stations and stuff, you'll see all the ones or hear about the ones from Collin County. And and normally they're all pretty good deer, relatively, um, you know, aged deer. 
Uh, so you're not just getting guys out there shooting spikes and four points and six points just for meat in the freezer kind of deal. I mean, I've, I've scrolled through Instagram quite a bit and it just seems like a lot of the deer you guys take like, and it just, they all look like they have good mass. They have good genetics. They look like they're, you know, they're old or plus at least. And like, man, it's so refreshing to see that. And I love seeing the laws from Texas, like the 13 inches are wider or wider than your ears or whatever it is, because man, it's so, it's so, so frustrating when you go the first day of rifle, like you, I, I try to shoot a doe the first day of rifle every year just for fun. You know, I like shooting mm-hmm. the rifle. I like getting jerky stuff like that. And I'll shoot some of my bow too, but you go up there and it never fails, man. There's like a dude bringing in a four point, a, a spike and a six oh, yeah. point or like a, you know, 110 inch eight point. It's probably two years old. And you're like, man, I'm so sorry. That could have been a really, really big deer. I'm like, right. oh no, he's good enough for me. But it's, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's different to see this, this shift in culture from Oklahoma to Texas. And I just feel like it, it is really good for the deer. Now, I don't know about down here where I'm at. I live in Austin now. And so there's like nowhere to hunt. There's like 300 acre public land pieces. So I don't know how I'm going to navigate that. But have you seen like, you know, as far as public land goes, you've seen or you've traveled up to Oklahoma. Has that been like your, your biggest bet because of like the lack of public land in Texas? Um, well, actually, you know, Texas has a lot of public land. It's just, it's a further drive to a lot of those, uh, than what Oklahoma is. Uh, cause Atoka is two hours on the dot, uh, drive for me, you know, and, and a lot of the public lands in, in Texas, I mean, there's some, you know, that we used to hunt, um, uh, Davy Crockett national forest quite a bit, which is, is huge. And, um, you know, that's pretty much where I grew up. When I first went, when I was four, that's where my dad hunted and hunted there for years and years and years. Uh, it just seemed to get really um, over overpopulated. Um, and, you know, and my dad didn't really care to take my brother and I, you know, especially during rifle season, because, you know, there's just some people that either are new to hunting or just careless hunters or whatever, um, you know, they don't know exactly what's around their surroundings and it it just, it just felt kind of dangerous. So we, we transitioned out of that. And, uh, and so, you know, Oklahoma, uh, all my mom's side of the family is from there, which is what naturally kind of made us start hunting. And plus, you know, Oklahoma's kind of a sleeper, man. Uh, <laughs> a yeah, lot of I people agree. don't realize they, they don't realize how big some of the, some of the deer there, um, really are. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's hard to explain but uh we've shot some pretty good ones on on public land up there but it's just being in the right place at the right time and um you know the locals don't really care for the texans coming up there and and hunting on their public land but you know it's we've we've made some pretty good friends with some people um you know kind of give us the inside of of you know what the deer are doing and you know um so we're not kind of really just wasting wasting trips because you know, we don't get a whole lot of time to go up there and scout it. We can't run feeders or, you know, anything like that. We can't bait them. So, I mean, you're just going trying to find the best signs you can, you know, sit on pinch points, anything to, to increase your odds of, of getting on one. We've, we've been pretty fortunate in the times that we've gone. I think a lot of the listeners of the podcast are people that are going to be hunting public land. And before we dive into like your big buck, I mean, that's really what I want to, I want to talk about it, but I really want to touch on this stuff too. Cause you, I don't want to segment you to only like you, Oh, you've killed one big free range deer. I know you're a good public land hunter too. So what, you know, what has been those, those keys to success for public land? Cause like, 
I know I've had some opportunities at some good deer. And, you know, when you get into these places like Atoka, like Three Rivers, like Hanabi, you know, you get these overwhelming pieces of land that are really, really big. And they have a lot of pine. And if you look at from an aerial map, it kind of looks all the same, you know. There's, right. there's there, like, from an e-scouting perspective, it's super hard because there's been areas where I'm, I'm like, money right there, and then you go in, and the grass is nine foot tall, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. not going to work here. So what has been some of the, the tried-and-true things that you have been able to go back to year after year and, like, still harvest here? Well, um, you know, <laughs> and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, obviously, you're starting to get, you know – kind of where the some of the mountainous terrain tapers off so you're you're not only just dealing with you know um you know the the wind and your thermals and things in there but you're also you're trying to figure out their food source you're trying to figure out their bedding area and you're right you'll get into a you know on an aerial map you're looking at it and it all looks super thick and you get in there and there might be you might be able to see 400 yards you know through their pines and so you're kind of like all right you know you just you kind of figure out trying to try to figure out where they're betting, but um, you know, that there's nothing that really tops that other than just feet on the ground, you know, just getting out there and scouting, figuring out what they're doing, you know, finding rubs or old rub lines. And you kind of, you follow those in each direction. And, and typically they'll, they'll kind of point you in the direction of where that, that buck is staying, you know, one direction or the other. Um, you know, my experience being right at the edge of the Kamishi mountains, I've noticed a lot of the bucks, will bed kind of up on about halfway up kind of on the on the ridges so that way they can see a long ways but they also have the the wind to to play in their favor too so trying to get in within bow range regardless of what time you go in is is extremely difficult to do um you know so you kind of have to think of different strategies but um a lot of times what i've done is i've noticed oklahoma um they'll start the pre-rut a little earlier than they do here in Texas. And, um, you know, so most of the time when I kill one, it's always like, you know, the second to third week of, of October. Um, and, and I've noticed, you know, they've obviously started, um, scrapes They're um, you know, they've got rubs, they're kind of marking their territories and, um, but their home ranges are still relatively tight. They hadn't started just, you know, dispersing all over the place, you know, for the rut. And, um, so a lot of times my strategy is just to go in, obviously wind directions, everything for me, but I'll try to go and locate a food source, um, a natural food source for them, you know, white oaks, if they have them, if they don't, you know, I'm just trying to find anything that they would, that they would feed on kind of sit in a transition point. And then ideally if there's scrapes or rubs, you know, I'm trying to sit, sit tight to those, um, of, of what I think is their bedding area. You know, it doesn't always pan out. You know, you might sit there one afternoon and you don't really see much movement and you're kind of like, okay, this I'm seeing deer, you know, moving down over here. So maybe I'll transition. So, you know, I, I usually use either a lock on with like the muddy climbing sticks. So it's mm-hmm. easy for me to just go down, set up. I mean, it takes me five minutes to set up on one or I'll use a climber. Um, I only use a climber in the afternoon though. Obviously I don't want to use it cause you can still hear it, you know, scraping on the bark and all that, uh, even as slow as you want to go. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll typically use a, use a climber for that, um, only in the afternoon so I can get in there, you know, super early, take my time, get up in the, in the tree to where I want. And, you know, you're just, you're at the luck of the draw, you know, um, I hear everybody always say, oh, you want to go as far as you can possibly go away from, from camp, dude. I mean, 
one of the biggest deer that I've shot has actually been probably 300 yards from the back of camp and everybody else was going like way up on the side of the uh, side of the mountain, you know? And so, um, you, you never know deer, deer, sometimes hard to, hard to pinpoint and they never do the same thing twice a lot of times. So it just is what it is. Yeah. That's super funny because like I, I've got friends and, and I've done it, you know, walking a mile and a half one way or two miles back in there. And you get back there, you're like drenched in sweat. Like you, you start making so much more noise when you, when you're tired. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not going to see deer anyway. So why are we all the way back here? But like, I've hunted, man, one of my best spots I've ever hunted was like 200 yards off the road. Cause it, I mean, it yep. gets so thick back in there and, and a lot of those roads are just two tracks and those deer, I don't even think a lot of times they view them as roads. They're like, here's a little dirt here. And they're like, they'll, I've, I've sat on the road waiting for some buddies one time and saw a buck walk right across the road. I was like, huh, I should have been hunting right here the whole time. But yeah, I think that's definitely true for the public land thing. I think a lot of times it's so easy to overthink it. You think like, oh, I'm not deep enough or I'm not trying hard enough. I need to start saddle hunting so I can get three miles back in there where these deer have never seen a person. And in my experiences, and it sounds like yours too, sometimes that's not true. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of laugh because I used to have the same mentality of like, you know, I need to go where there's no sin on the ground, where no one's ever been. Well, I've done that and I've, I've shot a deer back like that, like just way back in a secluded area and then realized how terrible that idea was when I actually had to drag, drag it miles back out, you know, and you're trying, you're just like, oh man, this deer is is not there. There's not a deer I could shoot that would be worth dragging this far, packing this (laughs) thing out again. Yeah. You know, um, cause, cause you know, where we hunt, you can't use four wheelers or anything to access. I mean, it's foot only. And so you know, for me, I just, I try to go in and, and a lot of it depends on the time. Yeah. I mean, if it's early season and it's still hot, um, I try to find water, you know, um, if there's a local pond or, um, you know, there's like a stream or pockets of water anywhere, um, you know, I'll try to, I'll try to locate their food source and the water first and foremost, um, when it's early season. Um, cause obviously when it's hot, we need water just like they need water. And, um, you know, so I'll try to set up on a, on a spot like that as it gets more into the pre-rut, then I'm trying to hopefully at that point kind of pinpointed where the does are. And, you know, they're normally betting, you know, pretty close to what their consistent food is. Um, you know, so if you find a big, uh, acorn tree, uh, that's got a, you know, huge crop that is dropping a lot of times those does are going to be two, 300 yards from that. And, um, and as the pre-rut shows up, those bucks are going to start coming more frequently around that area too, checking the does. And then of course in the rut, you might as well just sit down on a trail anywhere at that point. Cause <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could be bucks that you've seen before, or it might be a buck that's from seven miles down the Creek. I mean, you know, you just, that's the ones you just want to sit all day. Cause any new buck could show up at any minute, you know, I would like to segment now into the, into the buck that you killed last, or yeah, I guess this past season in 2018, mm-hmm. 233 inches, I think. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh my goodness, I, that those numbers like blow my mind. Um, but what was what was the story behind this buck? Is this a deer that um, you've watched for several years? You've had pictures from? You've been able to pass? Or um, what's what's kind of the beginning of the story? I kind of want to take well, it uh, from the beginning. Yeah. So it's funny. So I actually had a lease. Um, I was hunting some property, um, that 
was about three miles from from the the place that uh, that I shot that deer on. the The property that that deer was on, a couple friends of mine were actually hunting it before. Uh, they kind of had an ag lease um, for the area for like cattle and and um, and um, agriculture and stuff like that. And so they were hunting that property as well. And you know they used to share some pictures with me. And uh, I'm just like, man, you know, you've got possibly a a new a new Collin County record, um, you know, floating around there. And uh, because the pictures, so there's been pictures that go back to uh, 2015 of him. And um, you know, in, in 2015, he was just a, a huge, like typical ten point. And um, and then he just all of a sudden just exploded into all this crazy, uh, you know, drop time gnarly like palmation on one side and and so last year or the year before last which would have been the 17 season he actually had more mass i mean and more points than he did last year um but he but last year he kind of just grew a little wider and then thinned out some and then grew a drop time um he didn't never he he didn't have uh, the drop time in years prior to that so um you know their genetics is crazy i mean we've We've watched some really, really good bucks year after year. You know, they might put on 20, 30 inches in a year. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty phenomenal. And, um, you know, and they've got tons of food to eat with all the with all the ag fields that, that we still have here. And so. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I had some friends that were that were hunting it and um, and the landowner ended up putting the the property on the market to sell. And a friend of mine, um, you know, he had some ties to that, to that, uh, new landowner, um, that, that bought it and called me and was like, Hey man, do you want to get on this lease? And, uh, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I talked to the guys that were getting off and they were just like, Oh man, you know, uh, this, uh, nobody's shot this deer, at least not that we've heard of. And they started just sharing more pictures with me, you know, showing me other deer that they've had, some that were killed and things like that. And then, so we kind of made that transition to where they got off of the lease and we got on. So I already knew that buck was, had been seen there, uh, but I didn't realize he actually lived on the property, um, until I started running cameras, which I didn't actually get on the lease until November 1st of last year. And, um, you know, which is a lot later than I would like, you know, preferably I I would like to have time to set up and prepare and, you know, hang stands and and cut limbs and shoot lanes and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I ended up um, hunting basically out of a, out of a ghost blind. It's like a mirrored, um, like mirrored panels that reflect off the ground. Did you you actually sit on the ground? Yeah, I shot that buck sitting on the ground. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is <laughs> <Yeah>. even better. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I had a couple lock ons. Um, I had a, I, I really had two stands. I had a, a north end stand or really a north wind stand and a south wind stand. And, um, but when I got, when I first got on the property, I went down there. Um, I guess it was around the third or fourth of November and I put out, no, I guess it would have been about the 5th of November. And so I went and, and um, I just kind of did some scouting, looking around, because I'd never actually been on that property before and and uh, and found just kind of a little ravine that come out of this real, real thick um, area. And I thought, okay, this is probably where the mature bucks are, are staying is in this really thick stuff down off in this bottom. So I found kind of just a little finger of trees. Um, and so I was like, I'll go 
you know, just kind of see what I see and looking at the first thing was I was looking for food to figure out where the does were going to be. Cause I knew they were going to bring the bucks and, and, uh, found a big oak tree. So started walking to it. When I got up to it, there was a, probably about a 10 inch diameter tree that was just shredded. And I was like, okay, we'll, uh, we'll pick this one. And so I put a, a cell camera on that one. And then on November 7th, I got the first picture of that, the buck that I ended up shooting. And I was like, holy crap, man. And I didn't realize it was the same buck that my friends had had before, just because like I say, he thinned out, he had less points, a drop time and was wider. And, um, you know, and so I just didn't realize he had changed that much dramatically until like later on in the season. And, um, anyway, so, uh, you know, so that's kind of when it all, it all began. So then, I then I was like, okay, so, I could see uh, kind of a rub line and it was going right back to the thick stuff where I assumed that, that he was coming from. And, um, you know, I didn't know for sure if he was crossing a Creek, if he was coming from, you know, two miles away or what. And so I, I just started placing cameras and then, um, just kind of started backtracking and following where he was going without getting into his bedding area. And then I went around to the other side, um, on the far north end of that and kind of did the same thing. So that way I could run cameras really on both sides and figure out what was coming through. And then I, I realized pretty quick that he was never going through the north side. He was only going to the south. So it kind of told me he was betting somewhere in between. And, um, and I just kind of started, you know, inching in a little closer and a little closer until, uh, you know, until I started, you know, getting a, getting a pattern down. But, um, <laughs> so, so the go ahead no i was so how many how many different days were you were you hunting this deer so um so i really didn't even start hunting um i guess it was around the 13th um because until i had a daylight pictures of him uh which is the beauty of the cellular cameras is because i didn't want to go down there and, and just keep checking the cameras you know and mm -hmm. um and so I, I would run cell cameras down there that way I'm letting them, them do the work. There's no point for me to go sit in a, in a tree stand all day. If I'm not, if the, you know, the deer aren't moving. And so, um, we got daylight pictures of him, I guess it was around the 10th, um, or the 11th. And so I went and hunted on the 13th and I actually had, uh, I had daylight pictures of him on the 13th and, um, and so at this point I'm like, okay, he's, he's hanging around this area. He wasn't just passing through, um, you know, and so based on the wind, um, you know, I went on the 17th and sat, um, I guess, yeah, I guess it was, yeah, I guess it was around the 17th. I went and sat on the North end. I, I think I hunted like a couple afternoons, a couple mornings in between there, uh, over that week. But, um, on the 17th, I sat on the North end and, um, you know, I had a strong south wind, which would, would have been, you know, coming across to him. And uh, I had set up there, uh, you know, there's no feet or anything. I was just sitting on a trail that I could see the does had been using a whole lot. And there was a scrape right off the trail, um, kind of right at the edge of a, a bedding area. And so I, I hung a lock on stand. Um, uh, well, I take that back. I hung a lock on stand there on the 16th. And uh at 1:30 in the afternoon and at 3:30 he came walking down that trail and uh was on and it sent the picture to my phone by the time I got back to my truck and I was like oh my gosh you got a kid and so I went back on the 17th 
and um and hunted that day and i was like i'm gonna hunt all day so i got in early that morning sat in that stand and those filtered through they come back in going to their bedding probably about 45 minutes later i hear a limb break and i look over and i see the legs like coming through the edge of the woods and I'm sitting, I had set my stand literally like 20 yards on the dot from this trail and the scrape that was coming through. And so I couldn't tell what it was at first, but I could tell it was by itself. And then he kind of came through a little bit of a gap and I could see his horns. And this was the first time I saw him on the hoof. And anyway, so he starts coming through down the trail. I was like, holy crap, this is him. I mean, like, this is really about to happen. And uh, so I go ahead and get kind of situated sideways, get everything knocked. You know, I'm just trying to keep my composure at this point, you know, because I'm like, he's about to walk out to this. I know I was like, he's coming to this scrape. He's coming to check this scrape. And um, for whatever reason, he turned and and kind of started veering off at like a 45 degree angle, staying in the woods. And he walks out about 45 yards, about 10 steps from my from a shooting line. And, and he just stands there. And he kind of scans around the room, like up the direction, than what I, you know, had anticipated him to look like in person. And he turned, went right back the way he came. And I was just like, oh my God, dude. And um, anyway, so then it, then it, it consumed my life at that point. I pretty much hunted every single day, uh, almost all day long, every day for, I guess it was about six days straight. Wow. And um, I ended up getting him on Thanksgiving morning. Did you move a little bit closer to him where you saw him, he's him stopped and turned around? Uh, well, no. So, so that was on, um, so that was on the 17th and he come in and then he went back out the way he came. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep sitting in this spot. But the problem is um, I was getting pictures of him at night early morning on my south end camera and um and so then i was kind of stuck going well do i go back to the place i came or you know that i saw him or do i go back over here and so um i had a lot of does that were at my south end camera um of where they were feeding um the spot i was sitting is where some were bedding and so i thought well if i'm going to catch him coming in to check the does i need him to be on their feet not laying in bed and so i decided um most days to go hunt the south end i only hunted uh, i guess one of the days i hunted back on that north end again and um but i hunted the south end and i mean it was it was taking a toll on me man i was hunting all day long you know and and seeing some deer moving but just not him and then i would get pictures of him at night coming in all night long and i was just like you got to be kidding me and then um so anyway i uh i had to go to a doctor's appointment for my for my daughter the day before thanksgiving and um <laughs> and my uh, cell phone goes off i look down i have an image of him at 7 30 in the morning at my south stand Oh, and no. I was just like, dude, that figures. I've been here every morning and he hasn't shown in the, the morning. I don't, you know, here he is. Well, so we go on, we go on throughout the day, um, you know, doing stuff with my wife, kids and one thirty in the afternoon, it goes off again. He's back again in the middle of the day. 
And so I realized what he was doing is, is he, I had a gravity feeder there and he was, he wasn't coming to eat. He was just coming around it just to check and, you know, to scent check for does. And, um, anyway, so I, I, I tell my wife, I was like, Hey, we got to get home. I've got to get, go and sit this afternoon. I have a feeling he's going to make a third trip back there. Just trying to find, trying to find a doe. And, uh, anyway, she's like, okay, whatever, you know, so take off home, get dressed and, uh, and get down there and sit down that afternoon, feeling pretty good that he's going to sneak back in. Nothing. I was like, Oh my gosh, man. And, uh, so the next day we were hosting Thanksgiving at my house and my wife, um, she was, I mean, we had a bunch of family coming in and she, and I was like, Hey, I'm just going to go and hunt this morning, you know, or tomorrow morning, uh, just for a couple hours. I was like, I have to, I was like, you know, this would be the only chance I get for like a couple weeks. And I'm so close. It's like, it's a game of cat and mouse. I'm like right behind him, you know? And, uh, anyway, she's like, okay, just don't be late, you know, whatever. And, uh, and so I go get up, get down there really early woods are kind of dead i don't really hear a whole lot and then uh so one of the guys that i was leasing the on the lease with uh you know i was only going to hunt till nine and then i was going to get up and leave and i guess it was about 8 30 he texts me and says hey man i just saw the drop time buck chasing hard on a doe headed south which was down toward me but he's sitting like three quarters of a mile from me and so I thought, man, there's no way this thing's going to run. You know, she'll run in circles and run all over. So I was like, there's no way I'll see him. It's not probably 12 minutes later, I hear crashing coming from my, from the north, kind of on my northeast side. And I look over and I'm sitting on a ground blind at this point because, um, because of the wind direction. So I'm sitting on the south end of the gravity feeder that they had been coming to with my back up against the creek. So nothing could come in behind me and, and, and bust me. And so, um, and so I'm sitting behind the ghost blind on the ground and, and I hear this crash through the woods and I look up and this doe is running straight at me. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking she's not going to see me. And she's literally about to run right over the top of me. Cause it, it just looks like, I mean, it just looks like leaves and sticks on the ground. Like when you're looking at them, I mean, the only thing that's showing is about four inches of the top of my head. And, um, anyway, and so she's running right at me and, you know, I mean, I'm starting to turn a little getting prepared that like, she's literally about to drive right over the top of me. And, uh, and she turns, stops eight yards in front of me and she's looking back, her tongue's hanging out. She's panting and, uh, and I hear crashing coming behind her. Well, she's so close to me that I can't look. I mean, like, I mean, I can see her blinking. I mean, she's like standing right next to me. And, uh, and so she's so close that I can't even turn my head. I'm sitting there trying to look out of the corner of my eye to see what it is. And, uh, luckily she takes a couple steps and then kind of bolts around the trees. And, um, and so I'm able to look over and he is on her same path running right at me. And when I look over there, I mean, I see the drop time hanging down and I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, I mean, he's looking right at me. I can't move. I can't do anything. And, uh, and so then I'm thinking, okay, if he stops where she just stopped, I'm really screwed because I have no way to pull back. And, um, luckily she hooked around the trees, um, whenever she took off. And when she did, he changed his angle to try to cut her off. 
And so it took his line of sight, you know, off from towards me and kind of at a, at a different angle. And so when, when it did, um, there was kind of some tree limbs that were hanging down a little bit. And right when he got behind them, I pulled back and, you know, it, it was the, it was the typical man, 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 you know, and I mean, I, I was just progressively getting louder and he wasn't stopping. I mean, he, he paid no attention to me. And so I realized that that point it was it was now or never and uh <laughs> and so he he was at he wasn't running but he was at just kind of a slight a slight trot almost like a you kind of see a coyote do and he had his head you know kind of tucked down on the ground and uh so I just led just a little bit on his shoulder and when I shot it went right behind the ribs and come out his far side shoulder because he was quartering away pretty hard and so I knew as long as long as I made you know good contact the the placement was going to take out the lungs, the, the liver and everything. So, um, so <laughs> I led just, just enough to, to, to catch him. And it, like I say, when it went behind the, behind the ribs, I had a Luminoc on there. And, um, and so I saw the perfect placement and it was a full pass through. And so I, I saw the, saw the arrow go out. He tucks his tail, takes off running, goes around the corner and uh and then he disappears you know and i'm just like so then adrenaline hits in because i mean he was on me so fast i I didn't even have time for adrenaline to hit when i first saw him and uh so adrenaline hit after after i made the shot and i'm like dude did i really just shoot him i mean it it was just kind of like a surreal moment so i'm looking around well the doe is still standing there and she's looking around like where did he go and um and so i'm like okay well I'll, i'll wait for a little bit and i'm just watching I can see my, I can see my arrow still sitting on the, on the ground. And, you know, I'm, I'm like anticipation. I'm just wanting to get up and go look at it. I mean, I, I knew it was a good shot, but it's still kind of one of those things until you, you know, get up there for the confirmation, you know, and uh, anyway, and so I'm sitting there for probably about 10 minutes. I look over to the left and this little eight point buck, he comes in, he sees the doe and then he starts chasing her. And so he runs her off. And so finally, then I was like, okay, well, I can get up in case, you know, he was still there. I didn't want to spook the doe. And then, you know, he followed with her. So I get up, walk over there, find my arrow. It's coated in blood. And, uh, and so I see just little specks of blood kind of right down where he crossed this little ravine and went around the corner in the woods. And uh, I walk over there and I kind of scan it. It's out in this like, like kind of little grass pasture, um, you know, I'd say, about knee high, um, you know, to, to thigh high, um, grass out there. And I, st- I scan over and I can see the, the side of his horn sticking up out of the grass. And I was just like, Oh my God. And so I walk up and I mean, it was just, you know, you, you have an experience where, like when you shoot a deer and you walk up and they kind of have ground shrinkage. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he grew when I walked up, I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I just shot a freaking deer of a lifetime. I mean, I've shot some, some really good deer, but I mean, nothing comparable to that. It was just like, I mean, you know, that as hunters, that's what we live for is, is a moment like that. You know, it's, you know, it's just, it it was crazy, man. A single, an absolute single moment or like for you, like probably a couple decades worth of like time and practice and discipline and, you know, thousands of dollars on leases and corn all for like one moment. And like, 
what is what is that one moment like? I mean, when you're at full draw on a on a deer that you're you're probably I mean I hate well, to say it you probably never get a shot like the one on a whitetail like well, that again. You know that was the thing is is um, you know and that's just something I've always thought about just from experiences with other deer. You know, a good one comes in and you get the butt fever and you kind of start you know you start shaking a little you know and and you maybe you know really arrow a little more you or you rush a shot or something like that you know you take those experiences and and you go okay i don't ever want to do this on a mega giant so i'm going to practice to to avoid this situation so a lot of times what i would do my wife thought i was crazy but uh so when i'd go out and i'd shoot my bow i would sprint to go get my arrows and then i would run back knock it and then shoot because I'm trying to simulate breathing super, super hard, trying to control my breathing, you know, um, cause it, cause it's like anything, um, you know, it's like any experience, uh, you have, it's just the repetition of it, um, to try to simulate the real thing. I mean, it's, it's almost like getting in a fight with somebody, you can go punch on a punching bag and learn the technique all you want, but you know, until you really fight someone, then <laughs> it's a, it, it's a little different, little different scenario just because anything can happen. And, and so I've always just tried to prepare as best I could for that situation. And then, you know, luckily it worked out, you know, I've shot animals that have been, you know, like coyotes and things that have been slightly on the run and, and, um, not ever anticipating I'd have to do it on a deer. Cause trust me, I would, I would not, uh, I would not choose to, to do that. But, um, I realized, he wasn't stopping and I probably wasn't ever going to see that deer again. And so it was just, you know, a choice, a decision I had to make of going, are you confident enough to, <laughs> to make the shot? And, um, you know, luckily I did. And, and he went down and it, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's really an undescribable feeling. I mean, it's, I guess hunting for 35 years now. And, um, and this, it, I'll, I'll never experience anything like it again. Um, the only thing that I would say has given me kind of a more like satisfy or gratifying um, scenario is, is my daughter's first buck because her experiencing buck fever and going, man, I mean, this is awesome because now she gets it. She understands why we do it and why it's so addictive. You know, it's because uh, it is, the, I mean, that adrenaline, the, just the unknown experience. I mean, it, it's a, it, it's addicting, you know, and, uh, it, it's, it's surreal, man. It's, I've, I've definitely been, been pretty lucky. And of course, everybody gives me a hard time there. Now they're like, what are you going to do? I mean, just switch to, you know, hunting squirrels or, or what, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, yeah. it, it's tough. We, we've got some pretty good ones on camera, you know, maybe a couple of years, they might, might surprise somebody. So, you know, who knows, but yeah. So what is yeah. a, what has life been like as a deer hunter for these last, you know, few months, I guess eight, eight to 10 months, you know, as you're walking around, I know you got your deer trophy scanned, you got, you know, you got people that want to see it. You got a lot of Instagram followers now. I mean, I mean, what, what has that been like? Is it, is it, is it exciting? Is it get you more excited for the future? Is it, is it reminiscent or what's it, what's it been like since? Uh, I mean, I would say a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I think people are naturally, um, they're naturally curious and they gravitate toward stories and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, so I've had just, I've met a ton of people, a lot of really cool people. 
you know, that I would have never gotten the opportunity to talk to or, or meet before. Um, well, I mean, like you, for, for example, you know, and so, um, it, it's been really neat in aspect cause you know, I'm, I'm a people person. I mean, I'll, I'll pretty much talk to anybody, um, you know, and you get me started talking about hunting and, and you might as well sit down. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, so it's, it's been really cool to meet, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that have that same passion. And, uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me just for, you know, advice on like hunting strategy. I'm like, guys, I mean, just because I shot a big deer doesn't, doesn't make me a, an expert by any means, but, but I do enjoy helping people. Um, you know, because if I could take any part in, in somebody, you know, having a, a chance at a, at a buck of a lifetime, even better. And, you know, it's funny because one of the guys that actually held the Collin County record, uh, for the last few years, uh, Cody Griffin. So, you know, I've met him. I, I knew who he was just cause I knew obviously he shot a 231 inch deer, um, out of Collin County. And, uh, um, anyway, and so I've gotten to meet him and, and see his deer. And we both went to Texas trophy hunter extravaganza together. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been really neat. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten offered, I'll be going on a televised hunting show, uh, this fall. I mean, it's, it's been pretty cool, man. Um, like I say, I've, I've been blessed. It's, I, I guess I kind of think to myself, you know, just for the, I guess the little bit of notoriety that, that I've gotten out of it, I couldn't imagine what Luke Brewster's life is like right now. You know, he obviously just shot the, the new world record at 327 inches. Yeah, um, make, makes mine look like a baby. And <laughs> so I, so I, I couldn't imagine what his life is like right now. Um, I bet it's, I bet it's insane, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's, I've, I've enjoyed it, man. It's, it's really cool. And so, you know, now my focus now is, isn't really, I mean, obviously I have, um, I, I think pretty, um, pretty, I, I would say not so much high standards. Cause everyone's like, well, what are you going to do if a 160 walks by? I was like, well, if it's a mature 160, I'm going to shoot it. I mean, I'm not going to sit and wait my whole life waiting to shoot another 200 enter, you know. And so uh, I was like, I mean, I have realistic expectations uh, that I'm probably not going to shoot one that big again, you know. But, um, you know, if it's if it's a mature buck and it has cool character or something on it, you know, it's, you know, I'm not just going to not just going to keep passing them and give up hunting, you know. And so, um you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been awesome, but kind of my, my drive now is, you know, to my daughter got her first buck this last year, which is a little small six point coal buck. And, um, and so now my, my drive for her is to get her a little bigger one then a little bigger one then a little bigger one, you know, so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but. Yeah, that's that's one of the g good things about having little brothers or sisters or cousins or daughters and sons is like, there's always someone to introduce to it. And it's like, you know, what you've chased for like 35 years, you're fixing to instill in, in your daughter and, and, you know, other kids that are going to listen to you and look up to you because you've killed a deer of that caliber. And I, I think that's awesome. I think that's super cool and that you're going to get to pass that on. And so, I mean, what was, what would you attribute, you know, what, what are the biggest factors that you would attribute to successfully harvesting big whitetails consistently? Is it, is it discipline? Is it, you know, just a lot of it's got to be luck at to some point but i mean what are what are those factors or, or things that you would attribute most to your success 
Well, I'll tell you this, because uh, everyone always asks me that. They're like, man, you have you got a bunch of big deer that you've shot. You got a bunch of big deer that you have on camera. You know, what What do I got to do, um, you know, to, to shoot big deer like that? And uh, the first thing I always say is you got to hunt where big deer are. Don't expect to be in a in a place where your average deer is a 125 inch deer and expect to shoot a 220 inch deer. I was like, will one maybe stroll through and and you get extremely lucky? Yeah, I mean it happens, but uh, I mean you can't you can't be where the genetics is inferior and just expect a a mega giant to to appear. Uh, you know, so that's that I would say that's number one is you got to hunt where there's big deer at, which is why people go to Illinois, you know, uh, they know there's big deer year after year it's in their genetics. And, and so, um, that, that's really probably the, the, the biggest thing is, is hunting where there's good quality deer at. Uh, the second thing is, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, you can be the best hunter in the world. You know, you can, I mean, you can scout to your blue in the face. You can use every tactic in the world, but there's a lot of luck of just being at the right place at the right time. I mean, I think about it every day, just about, um, that buck could have easily, or that doe for that matter, could have easily, when they come across that pasture, taken a slightly different direction, just a slightly bit sooner than what they did and it would have been the difference between me shooting and harvesting that deer versus me watching him chase her off and never see him again. And, you know, that's the thing with, with bow hunting is really 40 yards are in, um, you know, is, is your window and you're trying to get a big mature deer that doesn't like to be around people, uh, within that, that limit. And it's hard. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a lot of being in the right place at the right time you know, kind of using, you know, the best tactics you have to increase your chances of that happening, but it, it's a lot of luck. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of sitting at the right stand that day. Cause there was days that I sat at one stand and he shows up at another. I mean, it's, you know, you just, you just never know. Um, but it's, I, I think for, for most, for most people, it's like, yeah, you, you kind of always, you kind of always dream of that scenario. Like Collin County, I have no doubt in my mind, um, will produce a state record at some point as long as they stay bow only. Um, I mean, there are some absolute monstrous deer, um, you know, that some guys are aware of. And as long as they keep low pressure, don't get wounded, uh, don't die of old age, um, and somebody harvest them, there's going to be there's going to be some bigger than mine that are that are dropped that's so exciting i mean i think you have a really good piece of advice there because my friend uh greg glessinger he's he's a member of the jury outdoors team but he's killed two 200 inch deer back to back years he killed one last year and the year before mm-hmm. and i was like you know like greg like what what do you attribute all this to? And he said, man, one thing I can tell you is you're only as good as the ground you hunt. He said, you can be the best hunter in the entire world. And if you don't hunt where big deer are, he said, then that's just, that's just that. And I was, I was like, man, you know, cause like you you grow up and like you're, 
you're hunting like your grandma's back 40 and like you're like you know i'll make it something i'll make it something amazing or like the biggest deer you've ever seen over there at night is like 130 inches and like right you know i mean that's just not it and like you want to you want to think of yourself as like a i try to think of myself like a habitat manager or like you know i can put in food plots improve bedding you know cut shooting like like you know, if the deer just don't get that big, they just don't. And so that's, that's awesome. And that's cool that we have that gym of, of Collin County in Texas. That's something, I mean, honestly, before this even interview, I didn't even, I had no idea. And so that's really encouraging. And I'm, I'm super pumped that you got that deer this year. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And, and so the guy that I mentioned, Cody Griffin, um, so he shot two, 200 inch deer back to back. Um, here in Collin County, it was 2015 and 2016. So it's 2015 deer, which was actually the first whitetail he's ever killed in his life. Oh, wow. And he shot it with a bow. Um, it scored, uh, I think it was 204 or 205. And, um, you know, and everyone's like, oh, you might as well hang it up. Your first deer you ever killed a 200 inch deer. The next year, he shot a 231 inch deer. And so, um, and I, I've, like I say, he went to the Texas trophy hunter extravaganza with me this weekend, uh, there in Fort worth and he took both of his deer. And so, you know, I got to hold him in my hand. It was just like, dude, I mean, this is, this is insane, you know, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's producing some monsters, but I mean, I mean, but yeah, Greg is, is, is a hundred percent right. I mean, if, if you're not hunting where big deer are, I mean, you can, you can feed as much protein do as many food plots, as many fruit tree, whatever you want to do to try to manage the herd. And, and they have to have the genetics, you know, don't get me wrong. You can improve and just help the health of the herd, but they, they have to have the genetics to be able to grow antlers um, like that. And so, I mean, you could spend a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to manage something that's just not feasible. And, um, you know, and, and cause a lot of people ask me that they they say, man, you know, do you, do you run protein and, and try to, since you have these really big deer, big genetics, try to manage them. And I was like, the problem is if I can't manage, uh, what all the neighbors that hunt around me shoot, then there's no point for me <laughs> to spend all this money trying to manage them. When a lot of these guys are just going to go out here and, you know, shoot a two year old 140 inch deer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, do I, do I wish I could? Yeah. But I mean, in, unless they're fenced in and you can control that environment, that's just the way it is, you know? And so, um, you know, so I, you know, I'll run protein, but it's not necessarily to try to, you know, increase the, the rack on them. I mean, I'm just, you know, running, I run gravity feeders for one, cause spin cast feeders, big mature bucks just don't seem to like those with the exception of nighttime. And, um, you know, so if I run feeders, I just do gravity that way. Um, you know, they feel, they, I guess they feel a little more secure when it doesn't make noise. There's, you know, it doesn't draw a bunch of attention to them. So yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been a very cool experience, but you know, obviously I'm, I'm just as excited, uh, you know, for this year to see what it holds. I mean, if it, if I don't shoot anything, I mean, that's fine too. I mean, I just, I enjoy being out there and doing it. I, I actually enjoy the process of it just as much, the scouting, the putting up stands and just trying to figure out what, what they're doing. Are they still on the same pattern as last year? It's, you know, I, I enjoy all that. 
Yeah. What I mean, what are you doing uh, this time of the year? You know, to prepare yourself. Are you hanging cameras? You looking at velvet picks? Like, are you putting out feed? What does it look like right now? Well, so I run cameras all year round, um, and the reason I do that is because, for one, I like to see, um, you know, for one, I like to see kind of how their their fall transition, you know, um, areas uh, go in the spring, in summer. You know, what bucks have moved in, what bucks have moved out. I'll, I like to monitor when they drop their horns so I can get out and go shed hunt, you know, and then, um, and then normally, um, you know, I'd say probably around June, July, I'll go in, you know, start looking for areas that once everything greens up, then I'll start looking for areas that I want to put stands, you know, and I like to try to get in there and get all my stands hung in the summer. Uh, so for one, the, the, all the, the, the trees are grown out as much as they're going to be, um, you know, so that way I can go ahead and cut shooting lanes. So I know what it's going to look like. Cause you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do, uh, you know, I don't want to go and sit in a tree, um, you know, that hasn't finished growing. And then all of a sudden I climb up in it for the first time, uh, you know, opening morning and there's limbs or leaves in the way. Now I don't have a shot or vice versa. I don't want to sit up in a tree that loses all of its leaves. And then come November, I'm sitting there completely exposed in a tree because now I have no cover, you know? So I, I just kind of make a plan for things like that. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, so right now it's, it's cool to see the fawns drop in. I'll try to go in and do some coyote, uh, management, you know, get rid of them. So they don't, they're not taking the fawns down. I have a lot of pigs. So I went out, um, I guess it was the Saturday before last when I, when I, um, took the Crimson Town rodheads out and tried them out. Um, you know, I ended up shooting three pigs that afternoon and shot four raccoons. Cause I've got, I got some trophy raccoons if you want to shoot some of those, <laughs> but oh, of course, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. I've got really all my stands, um, for the most part in place. Um, I'll probably try to go in and do a little bit of a food plot, you know, really just to kind of a, a spot to lure the deer. But, you know, I, I go and I do the, the mock scrapes, um, probably here toward Labor Day weekend. I'll do the mock scrapes with the licking branches, just trying to get inventory of what new bucks are there or what, ones are, are hanging around and and you know if i need to move some some stands um based off of what i'm seeing then then i will but for the most part i'm, I'm kind of set up on areas where i saw a lot you know pinch points and funnels where i saw a lot of traffic during the rut last year i'm pretty much set up in those same same spots and then you know and then i always have the ghost blind which is mobile to where i can just adapt to you know, whatever changes, if the, if the wind changes direction on me, I can just get up and move to a different side. And so I, I do like the mobility of that. So I'm not like, crap, man, I got all this work to now try to move my stand. And mm -hmm. so, but yeah, that's, so that's what I'm doing now, man. I mean, sweating to death, obviously here of course. in Texas in, in August. I mean, it's 105 today and is, uh, is brutal, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm sitting down here cooped up in Austin. I don't, I got an a hour commute one way, so it's like I get home at six p.m. There's no way I can do anything that, that has to do with anything hunting, and it's like, I don't know, it's killing me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to get around it. And I mean, I love to I'd love to catch a hunt with you at some time at, at Toka or through rivers or something. I'm I'll we'll find a way to link up sometime when I'm up there. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, yeah, because I was actually. Um, I was actually talking to a, a guy that lives up in Atoka at Texas Trophy Hunters um, 
and he said he's he has seen more bucks this year uh, than he's seen in the past several years up in Atoka, um, you know, out on the sides of the roads, crossing the roads. And and I'm sure a lot of that's contributed with um, with a lot of the rain that we've mm-hmm. gotten. It should be a really good year for for buck antler growth. And, um, you know, and so um, I'm, I'm planning to try to make a trip up there. So if if you're free and I and I pin down a weekend, man, we can go up there and see what we can figure out. But yeah, I actually just finished a job. I, I'm a project director for a construction company, and I just finished a job that I've been working on the last 15 months there in Buda, just south of Austin. So mm-hmm. I've been I've been making that that trip from from Dallas to Austin oh yeah that every week that I-35. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you another one. Um, I think the draw may be over. Uh, or I'm, I think the deadline may be passed, but I don't know if you've heard of uh, Granger Wildlife Management Area, but it's there just east of Waco, mm-hmm. and uh, it's on a on a lake out there. Man, there's been some there's been some studs that have that have come off of that area too. I think last it was either last year or the year before last there was one. It was like a 206 or something like that that oh, was wow. shot off of it. But but their deal, it's a draw hunt. You know, obviously just like Hagerman is up here in Grayson uh grayson county um but their deal is you got to shoot two does before you can harvest your buck oh wow and 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 sometimes that can be a little little harder than than you think because you get some of those old mature does man they can be just as hard to hunt as as anything you know Mm -hmm. so but um but yeah man if you ever uh man i'd love to love to go out and see if we can get something on the ground man that'd be be cool yeah man i'm looking forward to it so i mean just wrapping up here what uh where can people keep up with you on social if they you know if they want to see if you can you know follow this one up with another 200 inch this year you know we'll see but where can it where can the listeners keep up with you well so uh obviously my instagram is uh chad underscore allen underscore jones and allen is spelled a-l-a-n uh and then my uh facebook page um that I've, I've kind of, I've, I've got two of them. I've got a personal one, obviously, but then I've got one that's, that's really just dedicated to a lot of what's just on Instagram. It's all, you know, hunting related stuff. Uh, that one is also Chad Allen Jones, uh, but obviously no underscores on it. So, um, yeah, man, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best right now. I don't have a whole lot of, I don't have a whole lot of big bucks on camera, but that's kind of expected when it's a hundred degrees outside and still 90 degrees at night, you know, and, and we've had record rainfalls, you know, the bucks just don't have to get up and move really too much right now. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's, it's coming up pretty quick, man. We're not too far away. Yeah, man. It's, it's coming up really quick. I think I'm going to be heading to Colorado in like three weeks. So that'll be a nice refresher. Oh yeah. And then, uh, that ought to be good. Oh yeah, man. I'm really excited. I spent a lot of time and a lot of money on this trip, so I hope it turns out well, but you know, it's going to be experience and experience regardless, but you going up to do some, some elk hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I headed up, headed up to Northwest Colorado to do some elk hunting. Super excited nice, about it. Man. Never been, never been archery doing archery and uh, maybe that's ambitious, but you know, I got a pronghorn hunt in December with a rifle. So if, if all else fails at the end of the year, I'll maybe I'll at least come home with an antelope. So absolutely, man. Well, good luck, dude. I hope you get you a monster. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. I'd, I'd love to have you back on the podcast again. Hey guys, thank you so much for consuming the hunter's advantage podcast. We really appreciate it. And we really do do the podcast for you all. And just to stay in tune with that and what you guys want to hear 
feel free to message us on Facebook or Instagram on who you would like to see on the podcast next.